to episode 0.0.6 of the Changelog, the blog and weekly podcast that covers what's fresh and new and open source. Open source is fast. Keep up. As you know, I'm your host, Adam Stachowiak. If you want to get a hold of me, uh, do it on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Adam S-T-A-C. And I'm Wynn Netherland, and you can reach me on Twitter at Penguin, P-E-N-G-W-I-N-N. And we decided to outsource the talent for this week's episode, Ooh. talking with Stephen Bristol from hey Less guys. Everything. Hey, thanks a lot. So, who did you get to? Uh, who did you get to uh, outsource it to? Oh, you were speaking. What? No, you not yourself. me. You're the, the talent. talent. No. Yeah, I'm, I'm the shill. <laughs> so, tell everyone who you are and what you do, Stephen. Uh, sure. My name is Stephen Bristol. I run a company called Less Everything. And um, we have a few products of our own, the biggest one um, being something called lessaccounting.com. Along with that, we have a time tracker called Less Time Spent and a project management tool called uh, Less Projects. And um, we also do a consultancy where we help other people build great products. Um, about a year and a half, almost two years ago now, we released an open source social network called Loved by Less, a yep. Rails application for uh, the, rest of the, the rest of the world to enjoy. And... Um, and we just uh, we just keep keep working at it and working hard and trying to uh, to make money and make people happy. You also have uh, something very cool happening soon. I mean, well, back in October, something very cool. Uh, less yeah. conf out in Jacksonville, and then you got less cruise going on too, right? Yeah. In fact, so yeah, in in October we had um, the the 2009 edition of Less Conf, which was the first one, um, and we've got a, a fun kind of vacation getaway called Less Cruise going on in April. If you go to lesscruise.com, you can check that out, and it's not too expensive, and it's just a chance to kind of everyone to get together and hang out for a few days at sea. Um, we're going to do a bar camp at sea just for fun, and um, we actually um, are going to uh, have Less Conf 2010. Uh, was just announced the other day. Um, going to be in in May in Atlanta, so uh, I don't know that if there are any details yet on the website, um, but um, you can certainly um, check out and see if uh, if you want to come. If you're curious, you can. Um, if it's worth coming, I would say search Twitter. Uh, search Twitter for uh, less conf um, and see uh, see what what people thought of the day and and if it's worth coming out for for the day of uh, conference. Absolutely. I, I know that I had a blast going there. I, I didn't even know that you had announced the 2010 edition. That's well, if fantastic. you followed us on Twitter, you would know. We announced it the other day. I do follow you on Twitter. I know. That's why I'm giving you a hard time. Don't take it personally. <laughs> he doesn't read my tweets either. Uh, yeah. you, you know, I don't. I, maybe I have to do one of those things like, uh, like Bradley did when where he uh, created a special list for people he cares about. And I have to put people in that premium list. You know, I may just build a micro app for you. Like, uh, we all hate QuickBooks and just has <laughs> all the tweets you should read right there. Tweets for Yeah, Adam. exactly, exactly. Are, are you one of these guys, Adam, that has thousands of, of people you follow? No, no. Um, matter of fact, I trimmed my, follow, my followings quite a bit. Yeah, and, what do you, what you know, I actually put – that's a good point because uh, from the Web 2.0 show's Twitter account a couple of days ago, like uh, Monday I think it was, um, I tweeted out – because you know Tweet Blocker, right? HashRocket's Tweet Blocker? Mm-hmm. Well, I wish they had a reverse of that where you can actually do the same thing but apply it to the people you follow versus who follows you. Hey, maybe I don't know. What would the reverse of it be? Well, if you're going to do it against your followers, you're trimming your followers based on whether or not they're a spammer or whatnot. And they basically take your, your right. list of followers and put them through an A, B, C, D, E grade. And the right. E's obviously the crap ones. The D's are – and I don't know what the algorithm they do to – to rank them, but they essentially go through and rank 
uh, mm-hmm. the people who follow you, and you can decide to just unfollow everybody in, in E and unfollow mm-hmm. everybody in D. And I'd love. I, th- I to think have the that. algorithm really just counts the number of times the word social media is used in their tweets. <laughs> and if it's all, the higher the number, of the uh, the more likely it is that you're a spammer. I think or is. guru or, or coach yeah. exactly right. Yeah, the the more likely you use those terrible terrible words, the more likely no one actually wants to read any of your tweets. Man, I think that's why I was a D grade. <laughs> well, except I mean, you're right. They should have an exception list for people like you, Adam, who are true, you know, social media gurus and and life coaches. Right. Yes. Such such experience as a life coach. <laughs> now we got a we have a great show lined up today. Uh, oh, but so answer the question. So so you oh, trim sorry. your followers list down to what? Oh well, that was actually for let me let me go to Twitter. I'll tell you. I don't or really you know how the we opposite app. The opposite app would do what? Well, the opposite app of Tweet Blocker would uh, let you trim who you follow. Uh-huh. Because here's the thing: I follow somebody, and after a while, if they don't if they don't perform, if they don't tweet things that I actually care about, I'm going to want to trim they them. But there's really no perform. You heard, <laughs> you, heard it, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Adam Stack is looking for performance. Out of the people he follows. I don't know what that means. I mean, I know what it means from like, you know, a server or from a business partner or an employee or perhaps even a lover. But from oh. someone I'm following, I, I, I don't, that's, wow, you're, you're an interesting guy, Adam. <laughs> Perform. What's, uh, what's wrong? You have certain expectations, don't you, for who you follow? Well, I mean, yeah, you follow for, me, for a reason, right? But, but so you for expect me, something. Well, right, but for me, it's really easy, right? Like, like I really try and limit my list to there are there are probably two or three uh, or four um, bots or, or or kind of you know bot accounts that I follow that are like with the Rails announcement list, for example, right? They're just occasional announcements that I want to keep keep up with. But for the vast majority of the hundred or so people I follow, um, these are actually friends or less accounting customers or people who I'm on the cusp of becoming real friends with and having, you know, turning an online relationship into a genuine relationship with. Um, and that's it. And, and, and it's tough for me because, um, you know, I, I really only want to have, I only want to tweet with people who I have real relationships with. Um, Is that why so you never I, reply to me? I, I, well, no, I never reply to you because you never say anything interesting. Oh, but no, no, I'm just kidding. I, you I don't, don't perform, perform for me. Right. No, no, I, I reply to you sometimes. I know you retweet my stuff. I'm just, I'm just messing with you. Yeah. No, it's no. cool though. I mean, I'd like to do what you're doing, like to have only a hundred or so people, but you know, and this comes from growing into Twitter too. Like Twitter has evolved. And right. I think as a user of Twitter, I've evolved on how I use Twitter. I mean, over course, time, I've learned, have. Sure. you know, new etiquette and I've got tons of people that I've followed ages ago that right. I probably don't want to follow anymore. And I'd love to have a tool that helps me better. Choose that rather than me take. Are you following right now? Honestly, it's five hundred seventy-six. Oh my god! So you are one of those people I'm talking about. You you really just have to look at people who are who are adding you or DMing you. No, you, I, you can't follow your, the stream, right? It's too big. No, I don't have a. I don't have a really. Yeah, I guess uh, the stream is a little bit big, but I I do value. That's what she a said. A lot of. The, <laughs> I do value a lot of the things that I hear from my Twitter list, even though I don't. Actually, have a relationship with but them. That, but that explains. Like a, it's kind of like an RSS reader in, in a sense. In that case, I do keep up with certain people on the beat. Right. Right, but, but that explains why you missed our announcement about LessConf 2010 because there, it, you know, one or two tweets might easily slip through that firehose of um, information. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Right. When, how do you do it? You know, I've started to move more and more towards lists. I do follow yeah. quite a lot of folks, but most of, the, most of that's just based on karma. You know, if you follow me and you're interesting, I'll follow you back. But, you know, it's um, once you get past 10 people on Twitter, it's kind of like hanging out with uh, my relatives from Mexico. It just watch the faces and listen for your name. You have relatives in Mexico? I do. I, I didn't do. realize you were from Mexico. Or I'm not. not. No, you're not from Mexico. Where I'm are you not. from? My uncle married uh, a lady from Mexico, so I have some uh, Spanish-speaking relatives that... Ah, see, sí, muy bien. So what do you want to talk about? Open source. Who's your favorite open source contributor of all time? It doesn't have to be someone famous. It could be, you know, a buddy of yours that wrote a really cool library. When you want to go first? Good question. Yeah, that's really Rain. 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 Rain yeah. who? Uh, what is his last name? It escapes me. But Not he had a really... Not Rain Wilson. No, no, no. Rain Heinrichs? Heinrichs. Thank you. Really? Rain? He had one of the most um, impactful open source contributions I've ever seen. Which was that? He added an apostrophe to a readme. He became a a contributor (laughs) to an open source project once. I loved it. That was one one of the ones where once you do a contribution, you get commit rights? I believe so, yes. Yeah, so then he could go and, you know, someone could do that and then oh. everything up. Adam, what about you? I don't know if I have any specific favorites. I, I don't really know what to gauge it by, but I can certainly say that uh, there's been a few that have uh, changed some of the things that I've done this past year and changed some of the things that I'm, some of the things I'm focusing on. Mm-hmm. And I would say probably the two guys that we had first in the show, um, Nathan Weisenbaum and, and uh, Chris Epstein. Their contributions yeah. to Hamill, Status, and Compass – Mm-hmm. Have really changed the game for me, and I think uh, they're doing a lot of very cool stuff in the space. You know, they call it CSS preprocessors or, or whatever. And there's lots of banter on Twitter going right. back and forth between Chris Epstein and, and Malarkey on uh, on whether or not Compass needs something different to make it easier for designers who can't use the terminal uh, to interface with their computer. I just can't understand that. But you know, the, the focus is on who, and I think you know Chris and Nathan they did have done a fantastic job. Uh, rocking out those two projects, and I'm, I'm yeah. loving what they're doing. It's interesting. I mean, I, I, as I think about it, you know, I mean, I, I think, I mean, obviously, I like um, everything in Rails has has changed my life in many significant ways. But I think um, I would have to say that that probably Linus uh, Torvalds is, is my favorite contributor. Um, the, the work done on you know on open sourcing Linux, um, open sourcing Unix um, with the Linux kernel. Um, and and consequently unseating Microsoft or, or you know beginning to unseat Microsoft and has allowed Apple to make such a fantastic um, product. Although I, I guess Apple, yeah, I mean I, I you know I just I, I think um, I'd have to say Linus. I think as as trite as that might be, I apologize for that. No, I, I would uh, say the same thing about Linus, and I would also commend him on Git. Like Git has changed yeah, a lot right? of you know in this past two years. Mm-hmm. It's done quite a bit for GitHub coming up, coming across, and, and mm-hmm. being able to be successful like they have been, and mm-hmm. then that also trickles down to us being able to have far more social code. And so, right. <laughs> what do you guys think Git would be without GitHub, though? I mean, it, it would be, it would be, you know, it would be um, co- the, the ter- <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, right? I mean, it'd be, it'd be the core, um, the kernel team, and then the Rails world, right? Um, and and that's about it, right? Um, 
the, the GitHub, I mean, it, it's, it was just such a, I mean, and I thought it was stupid when it first came out. I'm like, who the hell would want that? But it's such a good idea. And, it, and they just did such a nice job with the UI of being able to, to see who and when and what. Um, and and it really a nice tool. Absolutely. And, and a lot of the links we're going to talk about, a lot of the uh, projects we're going to talk about today are, I'd say 90% of them, 90, 99% of them are hosted on GitHub. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they've they've powered the people we are going to talk about today. Well, yeah, because we have to talk about my favorite feature, the changelog. That's true, yeah. And the, the favorite feature is what? The nifty little watcher and fork icons that we have on the website. Have you seen those, Stephen? No, no, on the changelog website? Yeah. So for <laughs> each, uh, each show there, we... Um, we um, are you okay? Yeah, I'm back. Sorry. Okay, good, good. I was about to hang up and call nine one one for you. No, I appreciate that. It's very sweet. Uh, yeah, on the on the site uh, for all you listeners out there, when oh, you check out the changelog, you actually see the fork and the watch icon there, and the, those numbers are real time. Win wrote some very nifty jQuery code to to go out and ping GitHub and grab that information and pull it back. And Win, I don't know if you saw that uh, message to you the other day in in. Skype or whatnot, but I think as an open source contribution from ChangeLog, we should uh, take that little snippet of code and turn it into a jQuery plugin. Yeah, perhaps. So, yeah. so let, let me understand. So, does that mean that the blog posts are actually hosted on GitHub, and you're showing the forks and the um, like the watchers for changes to the blog post? No, it's just if the link points to a GitHub repo, I can sniff that out from the uh, uh, the href oh, and uh-huh. make a call to GitHub to to get the. Data. Oh, that's kind of cool. It's nice. It's nice. It's 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 nice that you know. I think one of the big things that that Rails has done and and GitHub has um, sat on those shoulders and extended is this feeling uh, of of or making kind of this open source kind of just grab it and hack it and and then put it back out there or you know has made it. I think it makes everyone feel like they can do it. You know. Oh, absolutely, and um, you know the. The fork queue is one of my favorite features mm-hmm. of, of GitHub. If you have an open source library and you've got folks that are, that are pushing push, uh, pull requests back to you, right? then it, it makes it super simple just to go in and, and merge the ones you want to merge into your integration branch and then accept the changes that you want to accept. It's just really simple to, to run an open source project on GitHub as opposed to Subversion or any other source control out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. News of the week. What do we have on tap, Adam? Well, first up, we got uh, some two cool products. They actually come in, in together, Rackamole and Whackamole, and uh, two of the coolest named projects ever. I would say. Yeah, I think that's a, a rather well, very clever. And he also uses the word trap to to because it's uh, trapping users' interactions through your web apps and, and whatnot to to. Um, to see what's going on, and he uses the word traps, and I actually called him out on Twitter, I was like, do you mean to say tracks, not traps? And he's like, no, it's actually traps. And I'm like, oh, now I get it, because I'm that slow. <laughs> I always get jokes late. You can ask when. Every <laughs> joke I, is a grenade for you? Yeah, it's, it takes, well, no, it's not like that. It's, it's that, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so, Rackamole and Whackamole, they... <laughs> they track user interaction with your website. I mean, is this analytics? Well, so uh, yeah, I mean, that's 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 the question, right? I mean, if you if it's Rackamole, then I mean, it, it, you read the page, and it seems like it's um, it, it definitely integrates with Rack, and so I'm assuming it just handles all of your um, 
incoming requests, and so it's all server side stuff. So it's not like um, you know Selenium or something where it's tracking you know clicks or, or that on your with the website. And then I, I guess it, it it logs them out somewhere and then has a reporting engine as the whack a mole. Is that about right? I think that's the long and short of it. So I think maybe the uh, the more interesting piece here is both of these you know are ultimately powered by Rack. Use it much at less. Uh, we you know we we haven't used Rack a lot. We haven't had a lot of of. Um, need to. Um, we're, we're actually uh, implementing some um, um, synchronous processing that, um, and we're using some some rack module. Uh, we're using some rack stuff um, to make, or actually, we're making a rack server to um, to do some of that. That's going to sit behind Mongrel. Um, but um, no, you know, the the most stuff we've done with rack is just seeing how Rails has embraced it and what's been going on in core and that sort of thing. But um, we haven't had a lot of need for it. You know, the, the promise of Rack is to have these horizontal aspects of your application that you can just stack up on, on top of each other and, and uh, not have to bake those into every app that you build. It reminds me of the whole widget frenzy from a few years ago. So right. I'm sure there's going to be a Gartner hype cycle adoption of this thing, but right now I think we're clearly on the way up. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a nice way to um, to, to nice different you know, um, approach to doing uh, SOA, I guess. <laughs> SOA. That's that was a that was a joke. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I guess, I guess the the point of rack, like as you're saying, is is to is is an embracing of aspect ob- um, oriented programming, right? If you can remember the AOP stuff from about right. seven years ago, sure, um, or or more. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Another um, interesting thing that I saw in both of these projects that are built on uh, MongoDB, which mm-hmm. uh, we'll have Mike from Mongo on next week. Um, have you played with Mongo or any of the NoSQL? I, I have not. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Couch. Um, uh, I, Alex Lang uh, over in Berlin is a buddy of mine, and he's one of the uh, near as I can tell biggest proponents of Couch around. Um, and so um, I really like the idea, and I like a lot of the capabilities. And and I keep toying with the idea of switching um, switching this app over, or you know, let's write our next app in it. And, um, when it comes down to it, I, I just haven't done it, but um, I, I really like the concept. It's really a, a different way of programming your, your data mm-hmm. layer to uh, to think documents instead of relational tables. It's not a silver bullet, but it, it is a cool technology. Well, that's just so. So if it's not a silver bullet, and what 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 uh, what is it? Because near as I can tell, it's better for everything. So so what isn't it better at? It's not uh, as good for transactional type. Uh, Reads and, right. and writes, so especially uh-huh. I mean, with less accounting, I don't think you'd want to use it because you're dealing with with money, <laughs> right? You need to be able to uh, to do transactions and things of that sort. I think but, so, but but most of, actually in less accounting, most of what we do are single um, single transactions. There's not a lot of multi um, query transactions that we do in less accounting. I mean, for goodness sakes, it's it's you know it's addition and subtraction, right? It really shines when you have asymmetric data, right? So mm-hmm. I build a lot of mashups, and it, it's phenomenal uh, for uh, Mongo or Couch or any of these NoSQL stores just to be able to take a hash that comes back from the API and stash it and not mm-hmm. have to worry about a formal schema because most of the time it's going to be read-only anyway on your end until you update it. Right. So what do you do when you actually do have a schema change? Like like do you, like do let's say you're adding a field. So all the new records obviously will get that field by default, but then the old records, do you have to have code that checks or is there a way to automatically add those or do you automatically get null values or what happens? You get null values most of the time. Uh, mm-hmm. It depends on what ORM you use. Um, mm-hmm. My favorite is Mongo Mapper from John Nunemaker to use for MongoDB. And so you just get null values if you reference a field that's 
that's not there. But you do still get typecasting and all of that, which is uh, just pretty neat. Um, yeah, that's nice. Well, you get that from the JSON, I guess, right? Yeah, and you know... Um, so that really just gives you like a handful of types, right? Right, exactly. Kind yeah. of typing. But um, in Mongo specifically, they extend JSON to what they call BISON, B-S-O-N, which is binary serialized object notation. Oh. Um, and they can serialize files in line as well. But the big thing that, that I like about Bison is it handles dates. You know, JSON doesn't handle dates at all. You have to do string representations and then and go mm-hmm. from there. But Bison has a true date format baked in, which is pretty handy when you're doing comparisons. So look out next week. We'll have Mike from Mongo talk about uh, MongoDB. I'm excited about that interview. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I'm excited about hearing that. I think I'm going to go to my favorite Indian restaurant and have a mango lassi while I listen. <laughs> you know, they've taken a lot of grief for the name, Mongo. Have they? They have. And, uh, you know, they, they wanted to name it for Humongous. Um, and, oh, uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> what's funny, though, is the, uh, when we first started with the Mongo back in, uh, earlier this year, if you searched Mongo, the few uh, first top hits on uh, Google were the gingerbread man from uh, Shrek 2, the large giant uh-huh. gingerbread oh, yeah. man because <laughs> his name is Mongo. That's so. awesome. It also reminds me when I was uh, searching for Tokyo Cabinet before right. Mongo. <laughs> the first hit was a Google map of downtown Tokyo for a cabinet maker. Nice. So the importance of naming your open source software well. I think after a while you, you start to gain rank. Like the first few weeks or so, it, it takes a little while. But all the in-links from Twitter and various social networks and GitHub and blog posts, they all start to stack up and create your worth and give you, you know, rank. That, that always uh, uh, entertains me when people start trying to compare the popularity of Ruby and Python and Django and you know Rails and all of these different uh, languages and, and frameworks when – they don't look at the fact that some of these words are more common than the others, right? So if you look at how oh, Ruby is, you know, kicking Python's butt, well, if you look at the Google searches for Ruby, you know, they're a lot of times talking about the actual gems, not the Ruby gems, right? But, I mean, those should really count too, right? I mean, Ruby's <laughs> just that much better. Should get bonus right? points for, credit for picking a common name, right? Well, I don't know. I just, I mean, I'm just, I'm being flippant now, but. Oh, I'm with you. It's like uh, searching yeah. for uh, the Mac program, the organizer things. <laughs> right? Yeah, right, exactly. Like Google things. I know. It's like um, we, we have the, some friends in Ireland, the Contrast IE guys, and they have a product called Exceptional. Um, and it's the exact same thing, right? I mean, this product does um, exception notification, exception ag- uh, aggregation and stuff. And it's a great product, but, you know, it's, just, it, it's terribly named in that sense because it, the word is so common. Well, it's actually getexceptional.com. This could be an interesting detour. So you got this whole naming scheme at, at uh, less or less everything, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. So how many domain names do you have on deck that you've registered and haven't haven't developed yet? Fifteen thousand. <laughs> less everything in the English dictionary, right? Yeah, right. No, it's. I, I think we probably have a hundred or so registered. Um, probably thirty. No, it's not. I mean, of the okay, probably we probably have thirty or or less that we're not using. How about that? I got you. Um, and and because generally we're pretty lucky in that you know if you if you take a word and you preprint less to it, you know, no one has the domain name yet. 
right? right. So we don't, we don't, I, we don't really feel the. I mean, at first we kind of felt the need to go out and buy some stuff, but at this point, it's basically, you know, if, if we're planning a product or if we think we're going to do something, and uh, or if that name is just perfect, then um, we buy it. But otherwise, we, we don't. Um, and there, there are only actually two domains out there that we want to buy that are that are owned by someone else that we're going to have to. Uh, negotiate with or do something with sooner or later. Um, so, listeners, if you think you have a cool Web 2.0 product, go out and put less in front of it, register the domain and squat on it, and uh, Mr. Bristol. And get sued. Right, right exactly. <laughs> actually, um, no, seriously, we're, we're actually um, talking to a, um, a good friend of ours. Um, Jesse Lamb is not my lawyer, is um, um, going to do some um, trademark work for us. Um, for the less the you know the less branding stuff, and um, as as much as as I hate the thought of suing someone or pursuing someone or sending a cease and desist or any of that frickin' nonsense, that you know uh, apparently I that's exactly what we have to do, or we risk losing our own name. Um, is there the part of that process is is defending um, people who are using you know even even things that are like your name. Um, and so um, we have to, we'll, you know, shortly we're going to be defending, uh, we're defending it or, or risk losing the rights to it. Unfortunately, that's the way the legal system is in this country. No, you know, that's exactly true um, with, with that because if you don't defend yourself, it's like saying, I, I, you know, they can have it. I don't care about my, my what should be my trademark and you're not yeah, defending it. And, it, it's, it's, and apparently that's, this comes from old, as I understand it, I'm far from attorney, um, although you should contact Jesse Lamb, is not my lawyer, if you're interested. Um, to, to have I, I do follow him on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, he's a good guy um, down in Tampa. Um, but um, he, um, the, the, this comes from old uh, English common law, and it's not just true of trademarks, because I don't think they had trademarks in old English common law, but I'm not positive on that. But it comes um, – this was true in property as well. So, for example, if you have uh, – in this country to this day, my understanding is if you have like a driveway or something, or you have like a plot of land, and you let the local kids cut through the corner of your land, maybe it's, it's derelict and you're not using the land for X number of time, whatever that is, and then you try and put up a fence – to, to you know so they can't do that any longer if you've allowed them to do it for for you know whatever length of time they can actually sue and now that that walkway it becomes um uh i mean you still own it but it what's the word for it um public domain. The, it, there's like an easement or something some public easement for it because you've let it become part of the public um you know domain or public um um usage or something common space yeah, whatever. I mean, I don't obviously, you know, I don't know any of the, the, the proper legal terms, but there are there's there's a whole, I mean the, the 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 legal system is a bit fascinating in a lot of this um area. So what's next up on the list, Win? <laughs> puppet dashboard, a web interface for the popular puppet uh configuration management tool. Um yeah, so so this interface looks pretty cool. Uh, you know, when when I heard about this, my my first reaction was, shit, they don't already have a public interface, a web interface. Um, cause puppet is kind of a cool tool, but, uh, I was surprised that, uh, that this is, you know, this was new, you know, earlier this year, get a lot of play from, um, puppet chef and sprinkle all about the same time. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I just kept waiting for somebody to, uh, uh, slap a, uh, bork, 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 Swedish chef icon on these things. It's like going way back. You guys have no <laughs> idea what I'm talking about. No, I just, I just don't. I mean, I, I totally know the Swedish chef. I just don't quite get the reference. Well, why? Why? Do they all suck? Why? Why? Bork, bork, bork. 
puppet chef sprinkle oh oh uh, no i did not get the reference that was that was see, way too tough me. that was <laughs> i understand why you feel dumb adam that was really really good dumb <laughs> Jeez, he really takes me to the bottom you Isn't got that what you said out you have crap little followers you can't follow that you're an idiot <laughs> Isn't that what you said? I bring him on the show to ridicule me. It's, I love it. Keep you grounded. Yeah. It, well, it keeps me humble. Well, you know, so I'm not ridiculing Win, right? I don't know. I don't know Win that well, so I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, but I like you, so I feel like it's. It's. I wouldn't do that if I didn't like you. I know. I know. I. I you know, that was my first reaction too. Was pretty much your reaction, which is like they don't have a web interface for this already, right? Yeah, no, I guess the answer is no. Guess not. Well, what else we got? We know the next one. I don't think we have to go on public too much longer. Doc split was kind of cool because this was actually mentioned in uh, was it zero dot zero dot five? Yeah, zero dot zero dot five of the change law. We talked with uh, Jeremy Ashkenaz. Thank you uh, from Document Cloud. And uh, you know, there was when I was at the Ruby meetup last night. Is he Jewish? Yes. You know Ashkenazi. That's right. That. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. And so yeah. a uh, unfortunate misspelling of the show notes that led me to mispronounce his name. That's why yeah, uh, throughout. So it's kind of an inside joke. Jeremy or uh, Wynn called Jeremy uh, a shinkus. So. <laughs> I transposed some letters, and then so. and then that translated onto me, which I adopted the mispronunciation of it. And every time I'd say Jeremy a shinkus, we would go off on a banter about. His misplacement and you know misusage of the word, and he mispronounced it. So that was apologies to Jeremy. It's uh, no yeah, reflection of the fine code that he's. But an awesome out. project, an awesome project, and you know, really awesome project. Doc Split comes out of that, and I was actually at the Ruby Meetup last night, and I uh, was talking to a few people about about that show and that podcast. So I mean, uh, I'm really glad we had Jeremy on the show because there's lots of good information in that episode that uh, was really helpful. Underscore yeah. JS is still my favorite. I think out of that whole Document Cloud project. Have you seen this, Stephen? No, I haven't seen. I mean, I, I haven't seen the underscore JS. What is that? Underscore JS is um, brings a lot of Ruby type uh, array and numeral methods to JavaScript. So things like first, uh-huh, last, uh-huh. each. Right, right, right. But but somebody wrote all that stuff like three years ago. There's it's, a lot of frameworks that have it out there. You know, Prototype has it built in. I've seen a lot of um, somebody wrote type plugins that do this. But yeah, there was. Um, I mean, I don't remember exactly, but um, there were there was there were a couple of JavaScript libraries that did that. I think um, years ago. And this one's I cool get, because it doesn't pollute the uh, prototype, the object prototypes, and it's more functional. Give well, it wouldn't you me. want it to? Not necessarily. Sometimes that can lead to, you know, unexpected behavior if you. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. I guess if if someone else has already you know taken that that function name, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I can, I can see that. Uh, I tend to, to, I tend to, to um, kind of enjoy doing straight up monkey patching on um, JavaScript right. objects in JavaScript rather than, um, and 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 I, you know, I, I agree with not polluting the global namespace in general, but um, you know, for application specific stuff, I just don't care that much. Right. Right. You know, we always find our way back to Hamel, Sass, and Compass, don't we? Middleman, yeah. a static generator for Hamel SAS Compass plus YUI compression. Yeah, this was kind of neat because, you know, when you and I have talked a few times about my usage of Staticmatic and kind of where that falls down is whenever you have to go beyond just generating a static site, what do you do? 
And so I thought this was kind of unique that it actually takes uh, takes some of the same approach. It's actually built on top of Sinatra. So pretty much anything you could do in Sinatra, you could do with Middleman. You know, I'd like to do a Google search of inspired by Sinatra. It seems like every other project I discover lately is some sort of port of Sinatra to some other language. You Sinatra much, Stephen? Um, not too much. Um, you know, generally we, we don't do things that – generally we, we, you know, we, we just use Rails um, in lieu of Sinatra. Um, I, I guess I kind of feel like you know, Sinatra is for really small stuff. Uh, and any and and once you get you know as to a certain something, then you should just use Rails and you get all. What about stuff. we all hate QuickBooks? Is that Rails or just static or? Uh, yeah, no, it, it's actually quite old, and it's Rails with um, a gigantic with a, and just basically a cache. So anytime a page is loaded, it just caches. Um, so yeah, it's it's all um, it's all just it's it's an old old Rails app. I think it's been out for almost two years now. Of course, I'm referring to weallhatequickbooks.com. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's a really entertaining look at tweets that mention QuickBooks. Yeah, this was something my business partner, Alan Branch, who is um, at Les Allen on Twitter if you want to follow him. Um, and you should follow him because he's really funny. Um, and, and he doesn't like it when I have more followers than him, so please follow him so he feels good. Um, but um, this was just kind of a marketing idea he had. Um, you know, This was, this was um, before um, – People were really using Twitter for business. Um, so this was a couple of years ago, and, and Alan was following the word tw- um, Twitter, uh, the following the word um, QuickBooks. And uh, what he noticed was that almost all of the tweets about QuickBooks were negative. And so he said, "Let's let's put together this little thing that basically just shows the public stream for the word tw- uh, QuickBooks, and um, call it We All Hate QuickBooks." And um, and so we put it up, and uh, we got some press on it right away. Um, got some nice marketing play about it. A lot of people like in marketing thought it was really good. Um, and it was really funny because before we launched it, we, we were working with uh, – we had hired someone to do um, some SEO uh, stuff for us. And she kind of freaked out. She's like, no, no, you're going to get sued. You're going to get sued. I don't want to be any part of this. It's going to be terrible. No good can come of this. And and um, our um, our attitude was you know, that getting sued over this would be the best thing that ever happened to us. Because um, you know, I mean, can you imagine the, the great publicity we'd get? We'd, we'd get on TechCrunch. We'd get all kinds of people. Like our name would just grow if, if QuickBooks, if Intuit, actually sued us over it. And unfortunately, they didn't. But um, God, that would have been fantastic. Who did the uh, design? Alan. Alan, I love the uh, CSS parallax at the bottom. I'm, yeah, that's that's, n- that's nice with the little um, angel and devil penises yeah, and the flames. Yeah. Yeah. So now we've given every listener enough reasons to go and check it out. <laughs> it all go see an angel and devil penis for the right. first time. Exactly. Um, uh, so your humor too to to make them penises. I, I don't even. You, you know, it's funny because it's not. Um, Alan um, didn't know. Like like after he we put it live, someone came to him and said, someone came to me and said, "Do you know those penises?" I'm like, "Yeah, I know." And I'm like, does Alan know? I'm like, I have no idea. And he didn't. He didn't do it on purpose. Um, so I'm not going to say that, you know, he's got some, um, subconscious something or other going on, but you know, they're, they're penises. What can I say? How do you segue from that? I, I mean, let, 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 let's face <laughs> it. Force, I think next gen MMO architect. Come on. Who doesn't like a little penis? Um, what I thought, we have a couple that come up actually from Erlang and, um, I'm not, quite the the detailed program like you guys are but there was a, a presentation last night uh and damn i forgot the guy's name that gave it uh, at the ruby 
the Houston RB meetup, and he did a really good job of walking through Closure, um, Scala, uh, Erlang, and, and talking about all the various differences, talking about how um, how you're using actors and stuff like that. So I mean, he really walked through all this stuff, and I thought it was really neat to see you know a Memcash client and also a gaming client come out of Erlang because of its uh, its very fast concurrency. So uh, you guys could probably talk against that better than I can, though. Probably estimate us under over over what why now so Erlang's supposed to be the hot new cool language on the block for concurrency right yeah so definitely I can think unfortunately it's a really cool tool that I, I haven't found a use for yet how about you yeah um I, I think the biggest thing we're we're doing with it is um, we're using an Erlang application we're using um, RabbitMQ um, which is um, running which I, I believe runs Erlang. Uh, runs on is an Erlang Erlang application for doing um, like it's a queuing server and it's super fast and, and asynchronous and quite nice um, and pretty straightforward to use and um, but I believe when I installed it on the server I had to install Erlang so I think it's um, I think, it's I think the interesting uh, takeaway from these two uh, articles and what we're referencing is Memcache uh, D client for Erlang and then an OTP kickoff project um, the OTP kickoff project is a Ruby project that generates an Erlang project. So it's a Ruby gem you install, and it basically mm. gives you a generator for, for an Erlang project, which it's, uh, it's nice to see Ruby, you know, I guess, having its uh, uses even outside of the actual Ruby. app. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, why did they chose Ruby to use? Yeah, why wouldn't they use Erlang? Good question. Maybe Do you it's know Erlang? To do. So I don't know Erlang. Do you know Erlang? I don't know it personally, no. So... No, I've, I'm I've, not sure uh, if it's as well suited for command line utilities and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't. I mean, if you're going to write a server, it's got to be take you know command line parameters and stuff. So, I mean, I'm sure there's some sort of. Um, that just sounds weird. Why you would? Well, it's kind of kind of uh, analogous it, to what we're doing with Compass WordPress, right? Right, where we have uh, Compass Gem and and Ruby scripts that generate WordPress templates and things of that sort, just because that's the the language it's tool to use. Yeah, yeah I, I guess so. I guess so. I mean, no, I guess I, I guess the point is that if there's a, an Erlang memcached client, then you know it's it's um, you know the the point is that that Erlang is is kind of growing in popularity and and um, probably becoming more um, you know getting some more love and some more attention from more people, right? Let me know if I'm wrong here, but didn't it didn't Erlang get sort of hot about uh, two and a half years ago, sort of to to get a lot more press, especially from like the pragmatic programmers writing books about it and doing mm-hmm. various screencasts and stuff, but it's an old language, isn't it? It's like twenty years old, or even is it? older. I think it's yeah. I'm pretty sure it's fairly it's old. It's been around a while for uh, in the telco space. I think you're right. Yeah, it's mm. mostly used in enterprise, and uh, some of the examples they gave last night was being able to process, uh, you know, a billion uh, billion calculations, sort of, you know, very, very quickly. Whereas anything else might just crash. And according to Wikipedia, which is always correct. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was uh, first created in 1986. Yeah. So it's about, yeah, that's, that's what he thought he said. It's about 20 years old. Uh, How about the, the MMO architecture? Did that uh, intrigue you by any means? That was your link, buddy. I know that was, I know that's, I don't read your links. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) Because you don't perform. Oh boy. I thought this was kind of cool to see this um, like a gaming framework architecture come out of something like this. And I guess it's only assumed that it would make sense because of its 
ability to have what we just talked about, the multiple threads addressing the same memory space and not have mm-hmm. the locking and the issues. It just makes sense to have like a massively multiplayer online game be able to be built on top of something like this. Yeah. I mean, you know, as, as someone who's not really a gamer, right? I'm not either, but I just I, thought it was, you know, very a very unique usage of something like this. And yeah. uh, to be quite honest with you, whenever I, I actually have to give a hat tip to TechnoWeenie because I saw him tweet about it. And I thought, well, yeah, why not post it? Because it's, it's fresh, it's new, it's open source. It fits the bill. I mean, to me, you know, the, the, the big MMO that I play is Twitter, right? I mean, it's just a different perspective. Right. But, um, I mean, it, it sounds awesome. For for you know, if, do you guys if, use uh, uh, moving on? Do you guys use Lighthouse? No, probably not. No, really. you use no, less projects. We use less projects. Yeah, I um I I really um I mean I don't know how Lighthouse is today, but uh, I tried to use it when it first came out, and that UI just sucked ass so bad. I mean I like Rick Olson a lot, but um um for for a, a bug tracking software, and, and apparently it, it's gotten better. I tried. It's a funny story. I tried to talk to, uh, in a drunken stupor, I tried to talk to Rick and uh, Courtney about this um, at RubyConf 2007 in Orlando. And I tried to explain that, you know, as someone who runs, because uh, we use Lighthouse for uh, Loved by Less, although we don't use it much, um, you know, who runs an open source project on um, Lighthouse. I just, you know, it's so hard to use. The UI is just so difficult. I don't ever quite know where this is or that is and what this is and how to make this or that happen. And then um, the the really humorous part for me was that rather than you know either Rick or Courtney actually stop and try and like listen to to hey you know this guy actually is has a UI issue like like maybe maybe we're doing something wrong maybe I can listen in and hear what he has to say um, Courtney proceeded to show me how to do all that stuff and I, I just thought and and not to take anything away from the guys I think these guys are great and uh, you know I wish them nothing but but the best and, and nothing you know uh, I really dig these guys but I just thought that that, that that kind of that that's that's the fun that it just made me laugh right that approach right um, and and that explains exactly why the UI was so bad I don't know is it still bad or is it good now I've gone off like ten minutes but how bad the UI is you might want to edit all this out but <laughs> no um, you know I would actually echo I, when I don't know if you have the same opinion but I would echo a very similar opinion maybe not quite as harsh but you know I have said since day one and I've actually been forced to use it in a few situations uh, either through working with someone else or uh, whatnot, but I've never really been a huge fan of Lighthouse. But I know there's a lot of users out there, and mm-hmm. you know when we talk about interface, since we're talking about interface, the cool thing about this project is that you can use the command line, right? But the really with it, but, <laughs> you yeah, can no. you can wipe out the uh, the you know all you end up having then is the business log- logic and the function. But that that makes it really good, right? Because finally there's a good UI for Lighthouse, right? You know who can go wrong with the command line? So that's why I thought this was a really cool thing because they've been getting grilled for. I guess since day one about the the UI of that that application and well, it's terrible. Yeah, it's. it's uh, I mean, you know, these are really good, smart, nice people who just you know who wrote you know what seems to be a really good application with just a terrible UI. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, the last batch of links that we've got this week are JavaScript specific. So uh, a couple of uh, jQuery plugins, but uh, seems to be some. Uh, heat around JavaScript on the server. So Node.js seems to be picking up some, some steam. We've got another link ja- this week. JavaScript on the server? Who's doing that? JavaScript on the server with Node.js. Have you seen this? No. It's a, it's a framework written on top of Google's V8 engine. So okay. 
seems to be uh, gaining some steam. I've seen a lot of projects that are built on top of this. Uh, last week we covered Wrestler from uh, Dan Webb, which is uh-huh. a REST interface uh, built on top of Node.js. And this week we're talking about Picard, which has a lovely uh, picture of uh, the Enterprise captain on its readme. Nice. We what always is- get bonus points for uh, creative readmes, don't we, Adam? Yeah, we, yeah. Oh, I think um, if you can be out there or something fun with your readmes, make them more entertaining, it's always a good thing, right? Absolutely. Yeah, this one is a microforma- uh, micro, micro framework for uh, Node.js that, uh, again, looks a lot like Sinatra. So it's just interesting to, uh, to see how we, uh, we've come full circle. So, Adam, if you were- Read my tweet. You would have seen a tweet last week about uh, uh, JavaScript, and I'm sure it's made the the rounds on Twitter because uh, I picked it up from someone else. But essentially, said uh, JavaScript's the uh, the frumpy chick from high school that turned out to be incredibly incredibly spot uh, smart and hot ten years later. Yeah, John. Uh, John. Yeah, John Resig. It's a quote from John Resig, uh, and then um, it got picked up by a bunch of us. Yeah, yeah, it's a great quote. So JavaScript on the server. Ever going to need it? I mean, I don't know what to say. Like, like I mean, um, if you, which would you rather code in, JavaScript or Ruby? Either server-side or client-side. Oh, me personally, Ruby. Okay, so yeah, me so. too. So, so I'm going to say no. I'm going to say that, you know, um, that, that as long as JavaScript isn't Ruby, I'm going to prefer Ruby. Um, so I'll, I'll code Ruby on the server, um, and I'll let Steve Yegi enjoy JavaScript and um, Rhino on the server in his, you know, what did he call that thing? It wasn't Rhino was the JavaScript engine he was using. What did he call that thing? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do, and it's on the tip of my tongue. Um, yeah. Anyways, that about wraps the show. I'd like to close there if we can, because I know Wynn's got to run here in about literally two minutes. He's got a hard stop at 10:30. But uh, Stephen, it was a blast having you on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time guys. out. Yeah, thanks so much, Stephen. Thanks, Win. It was uh, it was a definite, uh, definitely an experience that you must enjoy, Stephen Bristol, my friends. Protect me from myself. I will. I will. All right, bro. Thanks a lot, guys. Later. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Changelog. Be sure to tune in weekly for what's fresh and new in open source. Also, visit thechangelog.com to follow along, subscribe to the feed, and more. Thank you for listening.